0: Welcome to Salt Co. You've been here before, most of you, if you haven't, welcome. Still working, right? Yeah, okay, great. I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. Um, Yeah, so as you're settling in your seat, um, trying to remember whether or not you brought your Bible or if you'll have to use your phone tonight, um, I want you to think about a question. We're going to kind of get started a little abruptly, but this question is important because what it means will shape the way that you see God, which will shape the way that you live. So I want you to think about the last time you thought about God's kindness. Like not just like cognitively able to perceive like, yes, I know God is good. I know that he's good for me. I know that goodness flows from him. I know that he's kind. I know that he's gracious. But, like, when was the last time you were, like, overwhelmed or overcome or even crushed by God's kindness to you? Like, not the sinking feeling of guilt that you have, like, after sin or, or life is just hard, like, you're struggling through a hard time and, like, things just kind of suck and you're, and you're trying to think through how God fits in that picture. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're so overwhelmed that God has been gracious and kind to you and that's, like, all you can think about that night. Like even the truth that God has been like way kinder to, to you than you've actually been comfortable with. Like when you think about all of the things that he's done, all the things that he's brought to you, all of the gifts, all of the grace, and you think about it and you're like, man, I don't really know if I am comfortable with that because cause I know my life and I know my story and I know the people around me's story and it doesn't seem like this equation is like adding up. Like the way that I live my life doesn't equal the things that I get. Right, And so my goal tonight, as we explore this text, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to turn on your phone or check your Bible, whatever, um, my goal tonight is that we set the stage to explore God's kindness, like either to refresh our memory or to awaken us, even if just for the first time, about what it means that God is actually kind to us. Like amidst our failures, our shortcomings, and our sin that kind of surrounds us daily, there's a God that looks at you with kindness and not anger. He looks at you with grace and not wrath. He looks at you with love and not a record of your wrongs. And so tonight, like I said, we'll be in Second Samuel chapter 9, and we'll get to explore this God in a context that's actually a lot closer to home than we might first realize. So I'm hoping that by hopping kind of in and out of this text and trying to explain some of the context surrounding it, um, we'll actually get a clear picture of who our God is. So we're going to go ahead and open up. I hope you're ready for this. David said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? Okay, I'm going to stop there. I know we got really deep and it's okay. You can laugh. It's somersault. It's fine. You can laugh, that's good. Okay, so I've discovered the Bible is kind of like a Bob Ross painting. And what I mean by that is you have to kind of go and paint the background before you can actually get to the tree that he always paints in the foreground, okay? So my goal is uh, I'm gonna kind of fill in the back so we can get to that tree moment, okay? And then we can get where everything's good and we're happy and life is satisfying. So at this point in David's life, he's king, okay? We saw him kill Goliath. We've seen him with Bathsheba. This is actually just a little bit before that incident. Um, he's king. He asked if anyone is left in the house of Saul. And immediately, if we got our like our Bible radar or antennas on, whatever you want to call it, it should be kind of snapping off. Okay, why is, why is David asking this? Because in history at this point, when there's a king and the family either dies out or there's a new king that's risen up, what you do with the remaining family is that you just kill everybody so that no one else can come in like 10 or 20 years and say like, oh, actually my dad was king, I'm his son, and actually I have the right to the throne, you don't. And so if, if David is saying, hey, is there anyone left in the house of Saul, we should immediately be like picturing ourselves as like an official in his palace, like, oh no, like, what's he gonna do? This sounds like the normal cycle that we're used to, people killing people for power, people killing people for status, people over and exploiting, we've seen it before. This is, it seems to be that's what's going on. Cause Saul, like I said, he was the previous king of Israel and he knew David was gonna replace him. And so what that did is he tried to kill David, like not once or not just passively, but he made it like his life mission, I have to kill David. Why? Because he knew that David was anointed by God. He knew that he was stronger than Saul because he'd kill Goliath and all of Israel was like, yeah, like Saul's killed his thousand, but like David's killed like his ten thousand. It's like, man, David is so much cooler than Saul. Like if Saul dies and we're out of it, like that's fine, we have King David. Saul he doesn't really like that, and so he's 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 hunting David, and eventually Um, only after Saul dies is David actually able to go back home to Israel and claim the kingship. So, by the way, (laughs) this is funny. When David was running from Saul, guess where he went? He went to the Philistines, okay? Like, hey, remember me? I'm David. Like, uh, you know, Goliath, I took some leather and a rock and I killed him. That was cool. So anyway, like, hey, by the way, I was just kind of like, i down on my luck, and I was just wondering if I had a place to stay for like a couple weeks or like a month, you know, just until I get on my feet again, and like, we'll be fine. And like, they actually said, they said yes. (laughs) Like, he was able to actually live in the Philistines' kingdom until Saul died. But the way that Saul died, guys, is that he was fighting a battle with his son, Jonathan, And not only did Saul and Jonathan die, but actually their whole family died that day because they were unable to overcome the Philistines. And so the whole family gets killed in one battle that they lose. And now David is asking, hey, is there anyone left? Did anyone survive like that incident? I want to know if he's there, bring him to me. And so if you're looking at the last family member, kind of picture this in your own mind, of a family or like a friend or a group that has harassed you or persecuted you or slandered you or hated you since they met you, what what do you think you would do Like, this is David's intent, and I think it should catch us off guard or come as surprising or evoke some sense of wonder for us as we read it. This is what he says. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He goes on. Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Okay, let's hit pause again. What do you think Ziba's reaction was? Like, hey, the last person in the family that hated me, where is he? I want to show him the kindness of God. I want to show him kindness. And in case you didn't know, this isn't normal. This isn't what happens. When you find them, like I've said before, you kill them because they have a claim to the throne. They're your enemy you end the whole family line because that's the only way to promote security for your own. That's the only way you can ensure that your kingdom will reign forever. This is what the kings did to families of previous kings, getting rid of the competition, and that's how our world works, right? Where you eliminate the competition, we're able to have a monopoly, even though it's not necessarily legal, whatever, we still find ways to do it, and we exploit, and we cheat, and we steal. David is trying to show us something better by doing this. He's trying to show us something greater, so let's keep reading. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, and he's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lo-debar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Okay, so we've been kind of focusing on David and what his backstory is and how this whole situation is kind of playing out a little strange. Now I want to shift to Mephibosheth. Sorry, I'm like really burpy up here. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only grandson left from Saul, okay? So it's Saul, then it's Jonathan, and then it's Mephibosheth. Okay, so Mephibosheth, his father and his grandfather died on the same day, which was also the day that he was fell or he, he fell or he was dropped or something happened to him while he was running away from the murder and the just absolute destruction of his town, where he, he fell on the ground and he like crippled both of his feet. Like he can't walk. He hasn't been able to walk since he was like five years old. All of his family is dead and he gets summoned to the king and he knows that his grandfather hated David and wanted to kill him. What do you think he's going through as he's like being carried to David's house? Like he can't, He can't run away his grandfather is the guy that tried to kill the king of Israel like the sins of his grandfather are kind of trickling down and now they're meeting Mephibosheth he couldn't run away even if he wanted to he couldn't rely on his dad because he was dead Mephibosheth came to David with nothing in his hands like nothing he didn't have anything to offer David that would be like good enough to save his life right but despite any of that and despite the whole situation, he get something he didn't expect. Verse seven says, David said to him, do not fear for I will show you the kindness or show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? kindness like this is what you need to know about the story this isn't just the story of a nice guy king dude who did the good thing and like we should be more like him i want to kind of throw that notion away because then you get into the trap of like oh man am i being kind to everyone am i am i actually a christian do i Like you get swallowed up in the work of kindness that it becomes your identity and not actually what David is trying to offer in Mephibosheth and in correlation what God is trying to offer us. So we'll dig into that, but just know like a, a pitfall of this is to think the worst application of this sermon so far is I need to be kinder. No, throw that out the window. What you need to see is David's kindness, which will lead us to understand something great. Okay, so again we have the background of the story, we're kinda of getting to the midground in the Bob Ross painting. We we know kind of where we're at chronology-wise in the story, but now we have to figure out who we are in the story. Okay, so there's like two main characters and then Zeba, whatever, he's fine. Um, the question is, are we David or are we Mephibosheth? Okay, so if you've heard anything about the sermons from the past three or four weeks or whatever we've been doing this, your answer would probably lean towards, I'm not David, and you would be right. So good job there, proud of you guys. We aren't David, right? This is a picture of what it looks like when we meet the king, okay? The goal isn't to be David. If we could, then we just would be. The problem is not, can you be David or should you be more like him, like, you couldn't be David against Goliath. We already talked about that. Like, we're kind of like David with Bathsheba, and we understand that, but we weren't anointed by God to be a king over a country. And if you are, like, hit me up for your presidential caucuses. I'll be there. Guys, we're, we're actually Mephibosheth, okay? Um, do you know what the name Mephibosheth means? Like, all these names in, in Hebrew, they have, like, deep meanings, right? Um, Mephibosheth... Or Mephibosheth in in Hebrew, it means from the mouth of shame. Like from shame, from dishonor, like you you were born into shame and that's where you're still living in. Mephibosheth, you are shameful, you are full of guilt. Think about that situation. Like the king brings you into his house. You could have never gotten there on your own because your feet are crippled. You can't make your way back to God. He brought you to him. Not only could you have never gotten to him, but you were probably trying to run away from him or crawl or whatever people that can't walk do. Like you can't can't get away. You can't run fast enough. And you want to get away because you know in your heart that if there actually is a God above everything and is like Lord of the universe, and if he's really as powerful as the Bible says he is, then you would know that when you meet him, the logical conclusion of your life would be just instant destruction. Like instantly, you would step into his presence and then you would just die on the spot. That's that's what the end is. This is how Mephibosheth is seeing his life as he meets King David. And like Mephibosheth, whose father's father tried to kill the king, we can look around in our own families and our own stories and go back to a point in time where our fathers, 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 so on and so on, not only tried to kill the king, but they did. Where they actually did kill King Jesus. And so even though we look, we like look out at the human race around us and like we, we understand that there's like, shame around us like there's there's this guilt there's this burden on the human race and whether or not you've participated in it isn't a question it's just how much right like maybe you haven't murdered someone maybe you haven't stolen a candy bar from the gas station but in some way in some how the world is a little bit more twisted because of us than it was before we got here okay so we're surrounded by the shame it's like an inherent thing to human beings it's like this identity that we have we have been born in a race of people that have exploited and fought and killed and lied and cheated. It's who we are. When you look at the history books, that's all you read about. Okay, so you meet the king. Do you think you'd just be fine? Like, that's, that's not what Mephibosheth saw it. Like, his only hope would be that the king would be kind to him even though he did nothing to earn the king's kindness. And David's first words to him are, do not fear. Like, we should hold on to that for a sec. Do not fear. I will show you kindness. Mephibosheth's response to this is, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Like, he gets it. Mephibosheth understands that he's probably as good as dead in the presence of David. And so when David says to him, hey, I get it, like I know where you're coming from, I know who you are, don't be afraid, like don't, don't worry about it. We, it's funny because we don't really care about Mephibosheth, like I don't know if this is like the first time you guys are hearing this story, it's the first time I read it. I've been a Christian for like six years, so you could say I'm like pretty serious. Okay, so (laughs) we know, like, David and Bathsheba, we know David and Goliath, right? But for some reason, like, David and Mephibosheth, it gets lost on us. Like, it doesn't have the same appeal, it doesn't have the same notoriety that those other two stories have, because we care so much about wanting to be like David and wanting to get the crown, but the irony here is that there are few characters in the whole Bible that we are more like. And so even though, like, we as Mephibosheths kind of running around don't really care about the Mephibosheth, what's crazy is that God does. Like, we see this guy, and we're like, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a cripple, like, actually, he's just a full-on cripple, like, he can't walk. Um, There's nothing really attractive about this guy. His dad was okay, like, he was friends with the king, but, like, his granddad kind of sucked, and, like, his whole family died, and, like, his life has no hope, guys. Like, His life doesn't really have anything going well in it. And if we're like Mephibosheth, then all we have to hang on to when we meet the king is that he would be kind to us, that he would show us kindness. And so the word that we call God's kindness is grace, right? Like undeserved favor, grace meaning that though you had no right to anything good in your life, like you got it anyway, Like, the weight and kindness that David has, it isn't for himself, it's actually for God and his glory. Because, like, the way that we often try to be kind is to, like, oh, wow, he's so nice. Like, I can't wait to hang out with him more because he's, like, good to me, right? Like, or if I'm nice to someone, maybe they'll be my friend. Like, we, we have these ways of being nice or being kind as we, like, put on the guise of being... But it's in some ways just kind of like self-glorification, like, look how nice I am, like, every time I go out to eat, I buy my friend a coffee. Like, that's really lame if you do that. Um, Again, you can laugh, it's fine. But we do these, like, really silly things, right, where we try to be more kind than we actually are, and it's just kind of fickle, it's kind of fake and we have to focus on kindness that's not glorifying to us but actually glorifying to God because that's like the only kindness that actually matters, right? So we'll, we'll keep reading on. The king called Zeba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and all to his house I've given to your master's grandson, Right? And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and he shall bring produce, and your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, according all, to all that my lord and the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all those who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he always ate at the king's table now he was lame in both his feet. It's kind of tying up the story. Remember, he's, he's lame in his feet. Guys, this, this kindness that Mephibosheth gets, like this grace that King David gives him, like it's freely received by Mephibosheth, but it's not freely given. Do you know what I mean? Like when your friend buys you that coffee at the store and you, like, you just take it and you're like, sick, I got a free coffee. Like even has like extra shot of espresso, let's go. Like your friend still had to pay like the $3.91 at Starbucks to give it to you, right? Like it was free for you, but it wasn't free for them. And that's like, I think that's something <laughs> we so often forget about grace is like, yes, it is freely given to you but it was not freely bought for you, right? Like think about this, verse nine. All that belonged to Saul, all that he belonged in his house, I've given to your master's grandson. That's like saying to Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall tell the land, blah, 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 you get it. Everything that was Saul's is now Mephibosheth's. Let's think about what that means. What was Saul before he died? Oh yeah, he was like the king of Israel. Okay, so what what does a king of a nation own? Kind of like the whole nation, right? Like he owns a lot. And like the reality is like David is giving him way too much, right? Like he's giving him so much that like the dude can't walk. Like he'll never even be able to see like all of the land that he owns now, right? Like everything that his grandfather owned. He owned and his grandfather was a king. Mephibosheth is given literally everything that he can perceive. Do you see the connection? Like this isn't about David's kindness to Mephibosheth. This is God's kindness to you. This is God's kindness to me. Like you actually have the same offer that David gave Mephibosheth, but actually it's like even better. Because, like, we as Christians, right, we, we look forward to the day when God gives us literally everything. Like, Mephibosheth got some countryside land, some farms and stuff, and his seat with the king, right? He got to eat some pretty sweet food. But eventually, David dies, right? Guys, we get planets, we get stars, and we get seats at the best table ever spread with the king who already died and raised back to life. we'll get crowns, new clothes, a completely new home. Like that's what's waiting for us. And we have so much joy in looking forward to that day because we know we did absolutely nothing to earn it. When well, we look to God in his joy of giving us anything, is this the God that you think about? Is this the clear picture that you have of God, of a king who gladly gives you everything even though you did everything in your power to forfeit that gift? Like, even in times of sin, like, when you sin and then you think about God and is your response like, oh man, he's so mad at me or like, oh man, like, he's just disappointed in me or like, do you think when you go and you meet God, he says, told ya! Hey man, I told you not to look at, look at porn or masturbate or whatever, like, dude, told you. see how your life is messed up now? Do you think that's who God is? Like, he's happy that you failed and he like, wants you to make up for it before you can talk to him? Guys, that's, that's not our God. It's not. Our God is compassionate and kind and gracious. We have a God that sent his son knowing we would kill him so that he could raise again, so that when we believe in him, we have a hope, a future, and a family. A name that doesn't come from shame, no longer Mephibosheth, but a name that comes from glory and honor and power. Okay, so we don't do this a ton at salt, but I, I think it'd be cool if everyone like stood up, you can, you can do that, and uh, you can close your eyes or hold out your hands or kind of do whatever you want to, but I just, I think in the midst of the last 20 or whatever minutes you've been listening to me or not listening to me, it doesn't really matter. I want you guys to just really focus in on this psalm I'm about to read, so just go ahead and focus in. We'll get the band up, they'll start playing, and I'll just read over this scripture for us. It's, it's amazing, it's beautiful, it shows us who our God is. This is Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near To all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever.